the advent of hope. Uh, I've titled this, The Advent of Hope, A Weary World Rejoices. We need an advent of hope, a coming of hope. The ancient Jewish world was weary too, waiting for the Messiah, the hope that was promised to them. They were conquered by Assyria and Babylon because of their idolatry and their um, faithlessness in their God and taken as prisoners to a strange land. And then they were allowed to return and rebuild their cities. But heaven was strangely silent. The chosen people of God experienced no prophetic word for 400 plus years as they waited for promises to be fulfilled. Weary indeed. Possibly, as the prophet Jeremiah groaned in Lamentations 3.18, maybe they felt, my strength is gone, and so is my hope from God. We need hope, because we need rescue and refuge. Something in us knows we were created for holy goodness. Something in us knows we were created for Eden, the garden of God, where the present is fulfilling and the future promised glory, where shalom is the air we breathe in intimacy with God. Something in us knows we need that. The 18th century German philosopher Goethe probably saying that wrong, said, hope is a memory of the future. Hope is a memory of the future. I think that means that hope calls us back to our longing for the purity and goodness of life in Eden with God. Hope is calling us back to the, to the longing for the garden relationally well in every direction, free from the bondage of sin and darkness. And hope causes us to look expectantly ahead to an anticipation of wrongs made right, freedom experienced, goodness and redemption accomplished, promises kept. So hope cannot just be blind optimism and fingers crossed, right? <clears throat> not this hope, anyway. This hope causes us to step into the fight, to lean into the struggle, to pray and participate earnestly. Hope makes warriors out of the weak because the object of our hope is faithful and true. The object of our hope is the mighty God, the Lord of hosts, the promised one who is the promise keeper. The work, uh, Henri Nouwen said this about hope. He said, the work of our salvation takes place in the midst of a, of a world that continues to shout, scream, and overwhelm us with its claims and promises. Gosh, the world shouts so much at us, doesn't it? Promising this and promising that. But hope is not dependent on peace in the land, justice in the world, 
success in business. Hope is the trust that God will, that God will fulfill God's promises to us in a way that leads us to true freedom. I love that. So there are a few words in the Bible for hope, but the basic idea of hope in Scripture is an expectant waiting. Hope is an expectant waiting, a patient trusting. Hope is, in, is this patient trusting infused with strength. To hope, it's an action word, it's a verb. But then there's also a noun that is hope. Hope is a thing, right? And so I see hope as in the noun sense of the word as the fruit of that patient waiting, the fruit of expectant anticipation, hope growing in us and motivating us. I kind of think of hope as like traction tires. In the slippery season, uh, roads are a little icy, uh, hope keeps us on the road, giving us the grit to keep going. Of course, the object of our hope is what takes hope from wishful thinking, and I hope I hope, to grounding and grounded enabling. It matters where we place our hope, who we place our hope in. Um, and scripture reminds us of this. There, again, there are lots of verses about hope. So if you want to look them up, do it like I did it. Go to blueletter.org, sorry, blueletterbible.org. There's a little search box. Just type in the word hope. And every verse in the scriptures about hope will come up. Um, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. Psalm 130, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. This feels to me exactly like hope as a memory of the future. We have known and know his mercy, so we hope for abundant redemption to come. Psalm 31, 24, be of good courage, he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. So hope, we see it strengthens us, right? We hope in the Lord and our hearts have courage. We hope in the Lord and we, and we get that grit in our souls. Psalm 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. So we're hoping in God, we're hoping in his mercy, we're hoping in his word, and this creates something in us. Many of the verses about hope um, show that hope is often birthed in lament, in sorrow, and grief. I think that's interesting. That's often when we need hope, right? The grieving heart turns to God, to God's promises, remembers his past faithfulness, and the grieving heart chooses to fall on him in trust and worship and praise. And I think Jeremiah, in, Jer in Lamentations 3, he, he says this so beautifully. You know, Jeremiah, we, we call him the weeping prophet, the seemingly broken by what he was carrying, what God asked him to do, and it was heavy and he was rejected, and he was brutalized. And still, he says this, 
My strength is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering and the bitterness and the gall of it. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him in hope. He, he is saying, When I think about what I've been through, the affliction, the wandering, the bitterness, the gall, and the idea in Hebrew is just a dark depression. He felt like a wandering outcast, he says, with a bitter, poisonous taste in his soul and a hopelessness. But then he chooses to remember something else. He remembers other things as well. He's remembering the love and mercy of God. Hey, we think so highly of ourselves that we think it's, it's not because of the Lord's mercy we're not consumed. It's because we're really great. We're so great. God's so lucky to have us on the team. It's because of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. We are difficult. We, we are not good. A good most of the time. And of course, we're made in the image of God, and there is goodness in us because we're made in his image. But but it's because of his mercy that we're not consumed. It's because his compassions never fail, and they're reliable and new every morning. Just like the sun comes up, God's faithfulness. Just like the, the day begins with a sunrise, God begins the day with his compassion, and his mercy's new. So nothing in his circumstances change. He makes this proclamation. He he feels the strengthening power of hope renew him. But nothing changes in his life, really, except he's changed. He's got this grit in his soul, this hope. He is reminded and renewed even in his grief. So Psalm 119, 114 says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Again, I'm expectantly anticipating and waiting for your word, in your word, on your word. Psalm 147.11, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. We're invited to remember hope when we're discouraged when we're hopeless, when we're needing shelter and protection. You're my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. Hope is a refuge. Hope is a refuge. There's another um, aspect of hope that is translated to flee to the refuge for protection and safety. That's part of hoping, to flee to the refuge for protection and safety. In the Proverbs, it says, um, uh, what does it say? It says something like, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run in and find safety. 
The name of the Lord is a strong tower. What's the name of the Lord? It's everything his character is. Everything we know the Bible says about him, that's his name. So we hope in his name, we hope in his word, and we run to him for safety, for refuge. Um, Speaking to exiled Jews, Zechariah tells this, this group that God is coming with deliverance. And I love the way he says this in Zechariah 9, 12. In in verse 11, he says, because of the blood covenant, I'm going to do these things. And we are also people of a blood covenant, the blood of Jesus. So so I think this applies to us. Zechariah 9, 12. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare, I I will restore double to you. I love the picture of being a prisoner of hope. Hey, honey, where did that tea go? (coughs) Pardon. That gnarly cough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. Return. In Hebrew, it just means come back and find safety. The stronghold. Return to what? The stronghold. And again, it's this place of fortified protection. This place we flee into, we run into, and we find safety. So return to the stronghold. Who? You and me, prisoners of hope. A prisoner, one who is bound and captive. Bound to what? To hope. This Hebrew word for hope is interesting. Um, it, it means to wait expectantly, but it comes from a root word that means, I need both my hands for this, hold on. It means, um, it comes from this wor- root word that means to bind together and twist like rope. So it's taking fibers, twisting them together, and making a rope. And the the stretching and the twisting creates the ability for the rope to endure tension. Okay, now apply this to hope. Hope is extracted in the waiting, in the belief that God's strength and goodness comes in the enduring. That the object of our hope is binding him us to himself as we wait expectantly. And he will be faithful to his word, and that rope will be strong. It is not unicorns and rainbows. It is the fortifying and enabling hope of God. So return to the stronghold, O prisoners of hope, and I will restore double to you. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what restored double, is it land? Is it prosperity? I don't know what it, is, what it means for that in this prophetic context. But when we are prisoners of hope, we find our shame removed. We find our um, fears get smaller. That feels like double goodness. In a way, to hope is an act of defiance. To be hopeful is a defiant stance against despair. 
and a contagious act of courage. Hope is contagious in the same way that when I'm just walking around, seeing all the things that are wrong and frustrated and complaining about it, that's also contagious, right? And we, we used to say to our kids, complaining is draining. Whoa, complaining is draining. And it is. And it's contagious. And also hope is enlivening. Hope is the defiant stance against despair, and it also is contagious. But here's what's not contagious. Will you just feel better about that, praise the Lord? Well, the Lord's going to do something, and he is going to do something. I don't want to minimize that. But platitudes and um, not coming alongside with that grit that stands firm even when it is horribly hard. That's not super helpful. But, con- but hope is contagious. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. I think Anna was a prisoner of hope. And as you could tell, I was very moved by her today. Chained to hope in the dark days of waiting. She was chained to hope. She was a prisoner of hope in the dark days of waiting for the Messiah. Bound to hope in the refuge of God's character and mercy. Captive to hope as she grew strong in the word and prayer. The more Anna, in fact, she's referred to in Luke 2 as Anna the prophetess. The more she trusted God, believed his promises, the more she desired to see the Messiah and ask boldly for God to give her this gift, unlikely as it was. Her hope-filled heart waited a long time for this, but she audaciously, defiantly, expectedly waited, living in the memory of the future. Luke 2 tells us about Anna, that she was widowed after seven years of marriage. So she was a young woman, married only seven years and then widowed. And then it says, she lived in the temple, fasting and praying and serving until she was 84, almost double the life expectancy of someone in the ancient world. So she's waiting and praying and boldly asking God to see the Messiah for a long time. But a core rope of belief and expectation was being twisted and stretched in her heart and binding her to those promises about the Messiah firmly in her heart. So that when she saw the baby, she knew he was the one. And Luke 2 tells us that she, quote, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And she was right. Paul would go on to write in um, Colossians 1.27 that the ultimate hope is Christ himself. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he will also write in Hebrews 6 that this hope, this promise fulfilled in Jesus himself, this hope is an anchor for our souls. An anchor keeps a ship from just drifting out to sea. It's grounding. It's anchoring. 
It's meant to provide this hope, strong consolation for, quote, those who have fled to, re- fled to hope for refuge to lay hold of the hope. Those who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope. That's what it says. Again, there's this, that Paul is referencing an Old Testament idea that we, we flee to God for refuge and we find hope. We return to the stronghold and we are meant to lay hold of hope there. The Greek uh, phrase for laying hold there in Hebrews 6 means to seize, to hold on, and not let go. It's a bold thing. It's a defiant thing. I am going to hold on to hope, and I am not letting go. Holding on and not letting go to our great hope, Jesus. To grasp as our own, as Hebrews 10.23 says, um, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's let hope develop some grit in our souls, some traction tires to keep going in the slippery, dark, icy times we're in. In our worn world, a thrill of hope erupts. The weary world does rejoice. For this hope of glory, the hope of the ages, the Savior is born unto us, Isaiah says, for us, with us. And for those of us who believe, he is in us. Christ in you and me, the hope of glory. Nelson Mandela said this, he said, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. May your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. What would that look like if my choices reflected my hopes, not my fears? Robert loves this verse and he quotes it all the time. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of all hope fill you with and me with all joy and peace as you trust in him that is as you expectantly wait for him as you put the full weight of your confidence on him as you believe that he is a promise keeper that his mercy is new every morning and that his compassions never fail may the God of all hope Fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. So you may overflow with hope. Overflow with it so it spills out and gets on your neighbor. And then it has that contagious impact. Oh, I can have grit in a difficult time because I belong to Jesus. That it would overflow. You would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This season, let's think of hope as this defiant act of faith. And imagine yourself being bound and twisted like rope with God himself and his promises strengthening your heart so that when it's tested and pulled, there's a strength there that you didn't have before. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you are the hope of glory in us.
that you care to dwell in us. Thank you. Thank you that it is because of your mercy you don't consume us. You let us live and you extend your compassion and your mercies new every morning. Lord, we need you. We ask you to come and give us vision for this. Give us eyes to see what defiant hope looks like in our individual lives. We love you. We thank you. We acknowledge we need you. In your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.